Hello and welcome. This is the first episode of the It's God's Word podcast. So I'd like to explain a few things uh, really quickly before we get underway. I am Pastor David Palmer. I am the pastor of Lower Three Runs Baptist Church in Martin, South Carolina. We began doing a video sermon broadcast at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. I've decided now to switch over to a podcast format simply because it'll make it more accessible to those who are on a lower bandwidth and and just are not able to reliably stream video. So having said that, this is the first podcast. So you're coming in kind of on the tail end of the book of James that we've been studying. This will be in James chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 6. We're going to approach this from here on out as I do these podcasts from a Bible study standpoint. These will Everything you hear here will be the basis of my sermons uh, that I preach at Lower Three Runs Baptist Church, and probably some extra stuff as well as we delve into some apologetics topics. So that's where we're at, and that's what we're doing here with this podcast, and I thank you for being a part of it. Now let's go ahead and jump in. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Like I said, you're coming in kind of on the tail end of this, but we'll just we'll just go ahead and continue working through it. And I'm going to read through those six verses, the first six verses of James chapter 4. I am reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and cover and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You do not, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Would you pray with me, please, as we just begin to work our way through this scripture? Father, we just thank you so much for... Being able to study your word, to be here today, and just ask that you open our hearts to it and draw us close to you, convict us, teach us, simply help us to love you more and serve you better. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, quarrels and fights among believers are, are always very harmful, and James explains that these conflicts result from these evil desires that are battling within us. Uh, we, we want more possessions, we want more money, we want higher status and more recognition. And when we don't get what we want, we fight in order to have it. Now, what James is telling us here as we move through this passage, this is not simply a matter of ceasing to fight over these things because these external conflicts, these fights, these quarrels have an internal source. James, I think, seems to be bothered more by the selfish spirit and the 
bitterness of the quarrels than by the rights and wrongs of the various viewpoints. He, he doesn't concern himself here with who's right and who's wrong. He's just he's concerned about the bitterness and the conflict between Christians. And instead of just aggressively grabbing what we want, we should submit ourselves to God, ask God to help us get rid of our selfish desires and trust Him to give us what we really need. And this brings us into the crux of our study this morning as we look through these verses. Because in verse 2, He tells us, You lust and do not have, you murder and covet. And cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now, let me say very quickly uh, all this the fighting and the quarreling and the bickering, and you still can't have what you really want. And simply because you don't ask. Now, let me stop right here and caution very quickly. Uh, and, and just make sure there's no misunderstanding. We must not think of Christ as being a genie who is here to grant our wishes. That is not why he's here. Not at all. So, so he's not just some force for us to use to grant whatever selfish desires we, we have. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, you, you won't receive simply by asking... Our prayers must be according to God's will. If not, you are asking amiss, as he says in verse 3. If you ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. If we jump back to the first chapter of James really quick, in James 1 verse 6. Now he's speaking specifically of wisdom and asking for wisdom at this point. But, but look at what he says. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So first, let him ask in faith. Well, first and foremost, in order to ask in faith, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. A non-believer or non-Christian cannot pray and expect to have his prayers answered. Uh, you have to ask in faith, and you cannot ask in faith if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ. And ask without doubt, you must believe who he is and that he is able to grant. Now, let's expound on this just a little bit. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Ask in Jesus' name. If we ask in Jesus' name, he will do it. So what exactly does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it does not mean, okay? It does not mean just saying, in Jesus' name we pray, at the end of your prayer. You can't just tack, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, on the end of your prayer, and expect that to be some magic phrase that's going to get you whatever you want. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, what Jesus is talking about here is praying according to God's will, because you cannot pray in the name of Jesus 
and and be asking for something that is outside of God's will at the same time because Jesus would never act outside of the Father's will. So if we're asking truly in Jesus' name, then we must, we must be asking according to the will of God because if what we're asking is not the will of God, then it cannot be in Jesus' name that we are asking. I hope that makes sense to you. If you're a believer praying according to God's will, then you are asking in the name of Jesus. Now, let me ask you, when you pray, what do you pray about? Do you just simply ask to satisfy your own desires? Or do you maybe seek God's approval for what you already plan to do? Your prayers will only become effective when you allow God to change your desires so that they perfectly correspond to his will. And understanding these principles on prayer also leads us to the solution to the problem at hand, and that's quarrels within the church. That is, submission to God will lead to proper prayer. And proper prayer will lead, will ensure a couple of things. One, it ensures that our needs will be met. Number two, that our attitude will begin to change to one of contentment. We won't be looking for selfish gain if if we begin to pray in God's will. We will become more content with what we have, and therefore there will be less covetous, covetousness and, and less quarreling among believers when we're content with what we already have and content with our position in Christ. So, th- this happened to Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul was careful to pray according to the will of God and by doing such, he learned contentment in whatever state he found himself in. So, My goodness, that's got to reduce the quarrels and the fighting among us, don't you think? And third, as we pray for others, our attitude toward them will begin to change, which is exactly why Jesus made this particular commandment in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. 
he says this, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who who curse you, who who persecute you. And over time, your attitude will soften. This is why he gives us this command. So in a nutshell, we have the solution to quarrels within the church by way of a proper prayer life. Because these quarrels, they are caused by selfishness and they are solved by our submission to God. Because you see, there's no room for both. You can't be self-centered and God-centered all at the same time. It cannot happen. You cannot play both sides. Scripture leaves no room for rotting defense. In verse 4, he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jesus said, either for me or against me, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There's no middle ground. There's no riding defense. Satan owns that fence. So you're either with God or against him. You're either submitting to his will or you're submitting to your own will. You're either self-centered or you're God-centered. You cannot be both. Now, as James quotes here in chapter 5, or do you think that Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, this is not a verbatim quote of any Scripture. It is a summary of scripture and it speaks to the fact that God is a jealous God and he demands our exclusive devotion and this is exactly why if you're not with him you're against him if you're not helping him gather then you are scattering so hence the previous verse and and the first and second commandments if we look at Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 through 5 he says you shall have no other gods before me pretty plain 4 and 5 you shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth and you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Pretty clear. He he explain he he expects exclusive devotion, and he has every right to be jealous. He is the creator of the universe. He created you for his glory, so he has every right to be jealous and to demand exclusive devotion. Hence, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not helping me gather, you are scattering. If you make yourself a friend of the world, you put yourself at enmity with God. But verse 6. I love these buts in the scripture. He says, 
but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The only ray of hope in our spiritual darkness is the sovereign grace of God. That is it. There's simply no other hope. Only God's grace can rescue man from his propensity to lust over evil things. Nothing but God's grace can pull us out of that. And that God gives more grace shows that his grace is greater than the power of sin. The flesh the world, and Satan. It's, his grace is greater than all those things. Romans 5 verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the, offense may abound, that the offense may abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But again, I have to say, just beware, there's no place for God in the heart of a prideful person. But thankfully, His grace can overcome that. So, as we finish this study on these six verses today, let's get away from being self-centered. It's such an easy thing to do to be self-centered. We naturally look inward into ourselves and what serves our interest, at least what we think serves our interest, without knowing the bigger plan that God has in place. So let's get away from being self-centered and become Christ-centered. And we'll be able to really see God's amazing, abounding grace in our lives. I will be very remiss if I did not reach out to any of those among us who are not believers because that is prerequisite to everything that I've talked about. You cannot experience God's grace without pray, without placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and he tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you are, and I pray and hope that you will make that decision today. If you do not know Jesus Christ, because there's only one alternative to him, and that is hell. And and we wouldn't wish that on anybody, not even our worst enemy. And for those that are believers in Christ, let's let's step away from the self-centeredness and try to make ourselves more Christ-centered and, and pray truly according to his will that we give ourselves over to him in prayer. And watch our lives and our relationships with others change. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you'll be with us for the further episodes for, for, the, for the next podcast of these studies as we move through and finish out the book of James. Thank you, and God bless.